So we've been a few weeks away from this chapter, from this book. I continue to contend it is the Alps of the Bible. That they're just, the Bible itself, of course, is glorious. Every page of your Bible is glorious, but nothing compares to the book of Romans. Uh, the way it gives such a full explanation of the gospel, the way it points us to the glories of our God. And just as a reminder, the banner over Romans chapter 12, really over chapters 12, 13, and 14, is this great question. How now shall we live? Having been wondrously saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, rescued from hell, adopted by God, Given the Holy Spirit, how now shall we live? What should a life look like that's being lived in response to amazing grace? And we've seen that Paul took us quite quickly to our life together as a local church. Uh, That here is one way that Christians are to be distinct from the world We're to live our lives together as a Christian family. Uh, We love God by loving his children. We serve God by serving his people. Uh, We embrace our place as a member of the body of Christ very quickly. Verses 5, 6, 7, very quickly. We were taken into the context of the local church and spiritual gifts. And then beginning in verse 9, these pithy commands about how we are to live together in unity and in community. And so it's in that context, responding to Christ with a life of worship, that we come to verse 12. And what does verse 12 say? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I think what we have in verse 12 are three commands that seem to stick together as a prescription for suffering. And I get that from the context, namely verse 11 where we were just taught to serve the Lord from the heart. We preached a lot of sermons on verse 11 and the importance of Christian zeal, the importance of earnestness, the importance of fervency. But one of the great obstacles to serving Jesus with zeal is suffering. When people are against you, when circumstances seem to be against you, It can be hard to serve the Lord Jesus with joy. We are being called to live our lives to the glory of God by serving one another. And that's all well and good when I'm healthy. That's all well and good when I'm not worried about my finances. Or dealing with a rebellious child. Or struggling in a work situation. But God's command isn't for us to serve the Lord from the heart only when it's convenient. Uh, We are to serve the Lord with joy, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of difficulty. So how do you do that? I, I don't know all the situations in this room this evening. 
I don't know your particular various forms and shapes of suffering, the trials that you're going through. I know that we're all there to some degree or another. I know that if you don't feel the weight of your trials tonight, you should be preparing because they're coming tomorrow. Those who are not suffering much now need to always be preparing because it's coming. Jesus called us to follow him. And then he went to a cross. And so the life of following Jesus is a life that will ultimately end in wondrous joy. But the path to heaven includes many sorrows. So how can we serve the Lord with joy in the face of real difficulties and pains and sufferings of this life? So what I want to do is take these three commands one at a time and see how they give us a prescription for how we can respond to suffering. So number one, rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope. So Paul tells us that there's a source of joy even in the midst of present trouble. That is, when you can find nothing in your present life to encourage you, when, when everywhere you look in your life right now seems to be a mess, when everything seems to be against you, when everything seems to be a wreck, you are still able to look beyond the present to the future. Remember, hope in the Bible is not a wish. It's not, I hope my team wins today, which they did not, right? It's not, um, I, I hope mom makes my favorite meal for supper. That kind of hope is a wish. It might come true, it might not come true. But in the Bible, hope is looking forward to something that has been promised by God and therefore will certainly come true. In the Bible, hope is living with the eager expectation of something that is certain to come because you have God's word behind it. And so as Christians, to rejoice in hope is not talking about living in this sort of vague optimism. The hope that we have has objective content. There are objective, real realities that we are looking forward to in the future that give us reason to rejoice no matter what we're going through right now. Think about the kids in the car on the way to Disney World. The ride can be long and dreary. You may have to, may have to drive through uh, the road construction, traffic jams. There may be rain and storms. Maybe one of the kids gets car sick on the way down. But even in the midst of those difficulties, there is an objective destination that everyone's thinking about and excited about. And that's what keeps you trucking, right? That in a matter of hours or days, you'll be riding the Seven Doors Mine Train in Magic Kingdom. Or you'll be going on Expedition Everest in, in Animal Kingdom. And so it, it's, it's the thought of that objective content, knowing that that's coming, that keeps you pushing forward down I-95. Just not today because it's flooded. <laughs> but any other time. Mount Hermon, we've been promised something so much better than Disney World. We've been promised that we will behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have been promised that we will walk the streets of a new heaven and a new earth. And that we will see the end of sin. We will see the end of sickness 
and sorrow and pain and death. We are going to be reunited with lost loved ones who are in the faith. We're going to experience an eternity of going further and deeper into the experience of the glory of God. These are not fairy tales that we say to ourselves. These are not vague ideas. These are objective realities promised to you in the Bible that are ahead for you if you're a Christian. And the ride to get there, it's going to have its trials. But one thing that's different than my illustration is, in comparison, the ride to get there is like a moment compared to how long the actual joy of heaven is going to last. So here's how we sustain our zeal in serving Jesus in the midst of trials. We keep our eyes on the future. We look ahead. We look with eager expectation to the promises of God. People say, don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. But the reality is, if you want to be of earthly good, you better be heavenly minded. Because you will not have the joy, the security, the strength to be of earthly good if your hope's not fixed on heaven. Now, what's the application of this? Well, based on this command, what do I need to do right now if I'm in the midst of suffering? If I can feel my zeal for the Lord waning, what do I need to do? Answer, go back to the promises of God. Open up your Bible. Uh, Go online. Get out your iPhone. Listen to some excellent, encouraging preaching. Get one of those 99-cent books that you can get at Lifeway and other bookstores that are just the promises of God, which is verse after verse after verse that's just the promises, right? Refresh your soul on the promises of God. We need each other to help us remind one another of these promises. There will be times in the future when I'm going to be talking with some of you and you're going to hear me start grumbling and complaining. And the moment you hear me do that, you remind me of the promises. And I'm going to remind you, Lord willing, of those promises. Take special note of this. It is in those moments when you are hurting the most that you will most want to turn away from these things. There is something about indwelling sin and our own flesh that turns us in on ourselves in times of sorrow. It is when we need the Bible the most that we least want to turn to it. It's when we need to pray the most that we least feel like praying. It is when we need to hear good gospel preaching the most that we feel the greatest inclination to just stay in bed. You've probably experienced this. You're in those moments of spiritual depression. And what you need is a spiritual cure, but we turn to other cures. We turn to, to a gallon of ice cream. We turn to you know, hours of mindless television. We turn to, God forbid, something worse. So you need to resolve now. Before that day comes, before that time is on you where you don't feel the desire for the Bible, you don't feel the desire to pray, you don't feel the desire for Christian fellowship and Christian worship, you need to resolve now to be a principled person. Resolve now to be disciplined. Because if you have the habit of being in your Bible, being in prayer, going to church, being around Christian people, and if you've cultivated strong convictions about that, then even when the trials come, there's something in you that wants to fight against it, that conviction will bring you back to what you need. 
But if you're already wishy-washy on those things, if you're already turning away from those things and you're not in a season of great sorrow, then you certainly won't be able to rejoice in hope when you need it the most. So Mount Hermon, we need to love the promises of God. We need to cling to the promises of God. They are your source of joy in the midst of sorrow. So rejoice in hope. Number two, the second command that we see that Paul gives us here is be patient in tribulation. Tribulation. Uh, This word is used 45 times in the New Testament. That tells you something about the Christian life, that this particular word is used 45 times. It literally means pressure. Specifically, something that causes you internal pressure. So this word has the idea of something that makes you feel anxious inside, something that raises your blood pressure, something that makes it harder for you to breathe, right? That's, that's the literal idea of this word tribulation. In the New Testament, it's used very broadly to refer to all kinds of trouble, all kinds of affliction, distress, persecution. It includes whatever is in your life that you're experiencing as trouble. So you could just take a moment and identify some of the tribulation in your life. What's causing you some anxiety? What's causing you some distress? Now, Paul's prescription, God's prescription, is for you to be patient in tribulation. That word literally means to remain under something, to to bear it up, to endure. Have you ever had to lift a piece of heavy furniture off the ground while maybe someone straightened a rug underneath it? Or somebody was trying to get something out from underneath it and, and maybe the longer you held that piece of furniture, the more your muscles ached and soon you're starting to quiver a little bit and you're saying, get it, get it, get it, right? That's the idea here. You endure a little longer. You bear it a little longer. You be patient. In the midst of your trouble, stand firm. Don't don't be discouraged. Trust God and endure. Persevere. Keep serving the Lord with joy, even during your season of affliction. And you think, I really thought the affliction was going to be over by now. And God says, be patient. Keep serving with joy. Honestly, many times the hardest part of a trial is the waiting. You know eventually the darkness is going to lift. You know eventually these difficulties are going to pass. But you think, when? Your heart hurts. You're crying out to God. How long, O Lord? How much longer must I bear this? The Psalms are full of this language. Are they not? Listen to the beginning of Psalm 6. See if you've ever felt like this. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? So this is is David in God's waiting room. 
right? This is David waiting for God to act and rescue him from his trouble. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere. I'm, I'm languishing. My bones are troubled. I'm physically hurting because of what I'm going through. And my soul is troubled. I've often shared how much I hate a stomach virus. And I managed to go several years without getting one. And then, and then I had that Taco Bell incident that I won't go into a few months ago. But anyway, um, you know, there, there's that moment when you're sick to your stomach. You're just not feeling good. And you're hovering over the trash can. This is a great illustration, I can tell. And, and you're just thinking, when's it going to end? Right? When's, when's this going to stop? And how many times have you been in that situation? I'm say, and you've just prayed and said, Lord... When's this going to end? Would you please bring this to an end? Would you make this stop? And then there's that moment where you have to preach to yourself and you say, it is going to end. Right? Be patient. Endure it. Get through it. This too shall pass. So that's, that's the idea here. Whatever the tribulation is, and often it's something much more significant than that. It's bear up, soul. Stand up, O soul. Right? Be patient. Sometimes it seems to us like God is running late. Why has he not answered yet? Why is this trouble still in my life? But we know that God is never late. And his timing is always perfect. Uh, It takes time for fruit to become ripe. I probably shouldn't go to food illustrations right after the other. But it, it takes time for the chicken casserole in the oven to cook. And if you eat the chicken casserole too early, before it's fully cooked, it can hurt you. So also, God knows exactly how long to leave you in the oven. He knows exactly how long that you need to bear up under each trial to make you ready, to make you ripe for the plans and the purposes that he has for you. It all boils down to faith. Do you believe that your God is perfectly Wise, do you trust that God has your best interest at heart? Because patience is the fruit of a trusting soul. Uh, Psalm 130, verse 5 I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. You see those two ideas brought together? Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Paul's not just making that up. Here it is way back in Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. The psalmist says, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to wait on the Lord. And while I'm waiting, I'm going to hope in God's word. And I'm going to set my mind on what God has promised in the future. Honestly, I don't know that there's any better place to go when we need encouragement to persevere in waiting patiently for God than to the book of Psalms. Um, Let me give you just a sampling of some of these encouragements. This is just a tiny sampling. Psalm 25, 3. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 31, 24, be strong, let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Psalm 33, 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalm 37, 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Perhaps something else that helps here is just to remember how patient God has been with us. 
did he not wait patiently for the day when we would repent and believe? God did not have a short fuse towards us. He did not cast you into hell after your first sin. Aren't you glad? Rather, he was patient with you. Patience leading to repentance. Uh, Despite our thousands and thousands of offenses, God bore them all patiently, awaiting the appropriate time when he would turn our hearts towards him in saving faith. Uh, Think about all that Christ bore on the cross. Jesus could have ended the suffering he was experiencing at any moment, but for our sakes, he bore the full punishment that our sins deserved. And even now, our God is very patient towards us. He's he's like a kind father towards struggling children. And so if God has been so patient with us, should we not be patient as we wait on him? Patience is a fruit of the spirit. It's, It's one of the evidences that our faith is true and that God has changed our heart as we grow in our confidence in God. We will grow in patience. Number three, we have Paul's command that we be constant in prayer. In other words, Paul says, don't get the wrong idea. Don't think that being patient and waiting on God means that you're not doing anything. No, while we are being patient in tribulation, we're to continue finding joy in God's promises. We're to continue serving the Lord with zeal. You're to stay busy even in the midst of your affliction. And one of the ways, one of the most important ways that you're to stay busy in the midst of your trouble is by continuing steadfastly in prayer. Do you see that word constant in verse 12? That word is the idea of perseverance, of continuing, of not being turned aside. In Mark 3, the word is used of a boat that was to be ready to receive Jesus because the crowds were so numerous they were threatening to crush him. The boat was to be made ready and it was to continue in one place. It was not to be moved so that when Jesus needed that boat, that boat would be there. So that's the idea. Paul is calling us to not let anything move us away. From prayer. Do not let any situation, do not let any circumstance dissuade you from calling out on God. Sometimes, especially in trials, our hearts can begin to harden and we can begin to think prayer doesn't do anything, prayer is a waste of time. I need to get busy fixing this problem myself, I don't have time for prayer. But prayer is always the first and most important thing for us to do in every situation. There may be more to do after you pray, but there is nothing that should take precedence over prayer. God can do more for you in one second than all your striving in a lifetime can accomplish. Moreover, it's in trials more than ever that we need to draw close to God and feel his comforts and hear his word and pour our hearts out to him. Frankly, relationships are most important to us in our moments of suffering. The people in your life are never more dear to you than when you're in turmoil and they're nearby. Well, that points us to God. Your relationship with God will never be more precious and more dear to you than in those moments of desperation. Suffering should bring you to God, not pull you away from God. 
And so what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, don't give up. Don't lose faith. Keep trusting God in the midst of your trial. And here's what faith looks like in the midst of trial. Faith in trial looks like prayer. Trusting God, even when you can't see your way out of the situation, looks like prayer. Oh God, how long? Hear my cry. See what I'm going through. I know that you're going to work this for good. I know you have a purpose. Help me to to hold fast in the midst of this. Give me wisdom. Prayer is the heartbeat of faith. Um, A person who doesn't pray is frankly not a Christian. A person who doesn't pray really doesn't trust God because prayer is the exercise of faith. Um, Anyone who claims to be a Christian, even if they're in church every week, even if they read their Bible, even if they do good acts of service, if they don't pray, they simply are not a true believer. And if you want to see that, look at, for example, Job 27.10. Or you could read Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Hypocrites Deficient in the Duty of Prayer. One of the most humbling sermons, challenging sermons. You will ever read. Go home and Google it. Read it, but prepare yourself. It's very convicting. Whatever you're going through tonight, are you praying? Are you calling on God? Is He your wonderful counselor? Is He listening as as you pour out your heart's concerns to Him? Is He receiving requests from you? Do you know what it is in the midst of trial to wrestle with God in prayer? We should notice that even in the most severe trials, when we're limited in many ways, this is one way we can persevere in serving Jesus. In other words, you may be limited in many other ways in what you can do for Jesus and the kingdom. But as long as you've got your wits about you, you can pray. You can serve the kingdom and you can serve the Lord through prayer. We shouldn't just pray for ourselves. We should pray for others. We should pray for his kingdom. Even when your troubles are right here at your face. Even when when your mind, your anxieties are all wanting you to focus on your burdens, your issues. Jesus says, trust me. Rejoice in hope. Wait. And pray, not just for yourself. Pray for the kingdom. Set your mind on things above. We can serve this local church. There may be a day when you're too weak to even be in church anymore. There may be a day when, when, God forbid, you can't even be in this building with us anymore. You've become too feeble, too weak. You can still serve this church through prayer. You can still care for this church body through prayer. You can strengthen the hands of missionaries. You can uh, be an instrument God uses to bring healing to broken marriages. You can bring protection to young people. You can, you can do all of these things even if you're too weak to get out of bed through prayer. How puny our prayers, frankly, often are. Um, John Stott, great Christian leader in England, once shared this testimony He said, I remember some years ago visiting a church incognito. They didn't know who he was. He said, I sat in the back row. And when we came to the pastoral prayer, it was led by a lay brother because the pastor was on holiday. And so we prayed that the pastor might have a good holiday. And that's fine. Pastors should have good holidays. Second, he prayed for a lady member of the church who was about to give birth to a child that she would have a safe delivery, which is fine. Third, he prayed for another lady who was sick, and then it was over. 
That's all there was. The prayer took 20 seconds. And I told myself, this is a village church with a village God. They have no interest in the world outside. There was no thinking about the poor or the oppressed, the refugees, the places of violence, and world evangelization. And I would simply ask us, are we a village church with a village God? Are we small-minded Christians only praying for what's right here in front of us, aunt so-and-so's sickness, but but nothing more than that? It doesn't mean don't pray for aunt so-and-so's sickness. Don't misunderstand me. Those things matter too. But we have to be able to go beyond that. One of the great ways we serve the kingdom is by praying for our persecuted brothers and sisters, by praying for those who are in political power, who affect Christ's church, by praying for those who are actively involved in the work of missions, praying for the seminaries, those who are training future pastors and missionaries. So let me just ask you, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of whatever you're going through, as you're rejoicing in hope, as you're waiting on God, are you praying not just for yourself, but for the kingdom? Are you lifting up kingdom concerns to your father? What is the help that God has given us so that we can rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer? Well, we could talk about the word of God and how the Bible is such a precious gift to stir you up in these three things. We could talk about the role of the local church and how true Christian fellowship, when it's done right, propels us all forward in these three areas. But the very bottom of it all, the greatest gift that God has given us for these three commands is our relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Um, Listen to what Paul already told us back in Romans 5. In fact, if you want to, you can flip back there. Look back at Romans 5. Uh, beginning in verse 1. You're going to see many of the same words, many of the same ideas in this passage as in our verse in Romans 12. Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we, notice, rejoice in hope. Of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's so much there, we won't go into it now, but what I want you to see is that the source of our joy, the source of our patience, the source of our constancy in prayer is the relationship that we have with God through Jesus. Namely, Romans 5 verse 1 is the rock beneath the commands of Romans 12. You and I are sinners. And we used to be enemies of God. And we loved ourselves and we didn't want His rule over our lives. We had transgressed His law. We had aroused His holy anger. Put simply, we deserved an eternity in hell. And frankly, apart from Christ, you have no reason to rejoice in hope. Apart from Christ, there is no reason to be patient in your trials. Apart from Christ, there is no reason to persevere in prayer. Because apart from Christ, the God of heaven is against you. 
And this is who we once were. God was against us in our sin, not because he had turned against us, but we as rebels had turned against him. And I know this is a Sunday night service and a Sunday night crowd, and most of you in here are are believers, but is there anyone in here tonight who is still perhaps outside of Christ? You may come to church regularly. You may have prayed a sinner's prayer. Maybe you've been baptized. Maybe you're a church member. But deep down, things are not right with you and God through Jesus. You have not found that peace that Romans 5.1 talks about. If that's you, then you can't do Romans 12. You, you, you have no reason to rejoice in hope. In fact, if you do rejoice in hope, you're being deceived by the devil himself. God has provided a way for us sinners to be reconciled to him. We are justified with God through Jesus Christ. And once you know Christ, once you have received the forgiveness of your sins, once the promise of heaven is ahead for you, then you can rejoice in hope. Then you have reason to be patient in the midst of your trials. Then you have reason to pray with constancy because he's your father. He's eager to receive your prayers. In other words, everything underneath these three commands hinges on, do you know Christ? Are you in Christ? And if you want encouragement for these three commands, just remember the gospel. Remember who God is for you now that you are in Christ. And so when your joy is running low, when you're discouraged, when you're despairing, when you don't even want to pray, here is where you should go. You should go to the gospel. More specifically, you should go to Christ. You should run to him. Remember who he is. Remember his cross. Remember what he's done for you. Remember how through Jesus, God is no longer against you, but God is for you. Let the gospel watch, wash over you afresh. Let the, the savers of the gospel refresh your soul. And then recommit yourself to be resolved to trust God even in the midst of trial. And if it takes another week, or another month, or another year, or a decade, or the rest of your life, you know God will be faithful to you. And that this trial will be nothing compared to the glory revealed in the day ahead. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.